Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Daily Hammer, your daily news source when it comes to the Atlanta Braves as part of the Talking Chop Podcast Network. My name is Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSAC on Twitter. And even though the MLB lockout is going on, we've got plenty of news to talk about. And as I love to do when there's plenty of news to talk about, I love to have other folks come on and join me. And it's the first time I've talked with this gentleman since the Braves won the World Series, but I know that he is still as ecstatic as it can be more than 10 10 weeks since they won it. His name is Eric Cole. Eric, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us here on The Hammer today. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I'm still watching like that inning that Matzik pitched against the Dodgers basically once a day and, you know, going back and look at all the clips from the, the World Series, watching the highlights and just going back over it. It's still pretty surreal. It's a lot of fun to cover that playoff run. It's been so nice to kind of take a little bit of a break, at least before the last couple of weeks or so. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy for me. But beyond that, I mean, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I hope that the offseason has been treating you well and everyone's happy and healthy. Same to you and your family and obviously all Braves fans everywhere. I'm not sure how big of a football fan that you are, but also to all the listeners, congratulations on the Georgia Bulldogs, the state of Georgia, finally getting some due when it comes to winning the big game. So it's it's certainly been a fun few months. But of course, we wanted to bring Eric on. Of course, you can find him at Leprechaun, L-E-P-R-E-K-H-A-N on Twitter. Obviously been covering the Braves and doing a great job of doing it. Him and the great team over at Talking Chop. I want to get Eric involved and get his uh, thoughts on several things that are going on. And so we've got, you know, the, the international prospect signing period, Eric. It's not something that lasts a while, but delayed about six months from July of 2021 to now. And I know you probably are a bit more excited than most because it's actually a period you can cover again to the full extent with the brave sanctions now being taken care of and them having their full capacity. And of course, they did get a few notable names from a few of these international prospects lists. But Diego Benitez, a middle infielder shortstop, seems to be the prize of this signing class, international signing class, 2.5 million signing bonus out of Venezuela. For those who may not know a lot about the international signing period, how excited should Braves fans be about this specific signing of Diego Benitez? Well, I think just in general, being able to sign a top 10 player in the international free agent market is welcome news considering the fact that the Braves couldn't even, like it wasn't even any point in even talking to those guys the last few years. Uh, we're, we're big fans of Ambioris Tavares, who was their most recent kind of high profile signee and that was basically all their signing pool last year to get him but to kind of get a guy who's of the caliber of Benitez who can really hit I think he'll stick it short 
but it's so hard to tell with these these young kids because sometimes they fill out and you know, end up having to move them over to third or into the outfield. You know, there's just it's it's I don't want people to get too hung up on like that's the shortstop of the future, but like he plays infield right now, and I think that he kind of has the build to stay there, but he can really hit, has power at all fields, just has a good feel for the bat, you know. There's things about you know him being a kid where you know maybe his approach isn't exactly what you want and maybe the pitch recognition isn't there. But frankly, you know when you're talking about 16 year olds, I'd be pretty surprised if he could you know pick up on changeups really easily. So uh, again, he, this is a kid that's going to be a ways away. Uh, don't 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 start asking us you know when is Benitez going to make his full season debut this year because it's not going to happen. Uh, I'll be happy that they'll even have a Dominican Summer League team this year, considering that they actually got a good number of guys off the international market, but. You know, he can really play. Douglas Glaude's another really good one, too. He can really hit. He's more of a physically maxed out sort of guy. He's just kind of like that smaller compact frame, but he can already play well. And, you know, after that's just kind of coming down to kind of like learning the game. And, you know, but I don't necessarily think he's going to grow five or six inches taller or anything like that. So, you know, those are both – they should – fans should be excited about these guys, but temper your expectations in terms of when you might see them. And that's the thing that stands out about this list, Eric, is that it does seem like, you know, we, we've heard quite a bit. You know, overall, Scott Coleman, obviously, you know, you, you know, follow him, Brad, and Eric for, with the Talk and Chop podcast, Eric with the great crew with the Road to Atlanta podcast. We've seen it. The Braves, pro, the Braves farm system with some gradu, graduating pieces, especially in terms of position players, it stayed pretty good. You know, they still have a pretty formidable farm system, but they definitely needed to fill out the depth. And this signing class definitely has a lot of position players. Is there an arm, for what you know, is there an arm in this specific signing class that really intrigues you from initial reports that you've seen? It seems like what the Braves have done in terms of their international free agent signings with the pitching class specifically is they kind of got guys like you, you can sign any player for $10,000 or less. And it just doesn't count against your pool at all. And I imagine what the Braves are going to do is they're going to sign a bunch of pitchers that way. And they've done that in the past, but they didn't really sign a guy for like any pitchers for that six figure deal. They got, they had two guys who were like over a million dollars in Glaude and Benitez and they signed four of the position players. that was like over a hundred thousand dollars. The pitchers they signed again, we're talking about guys like $35,000, $40,000, $65,000, $75,000 in uh, Dieter Fuentes is the most expensive guy. They end up buying out of, well, end up, you know, getting on the market off of Colum- out of Columbia, which is not a place that I would necessarily like look to for like, this is where, Baseball prospects are really brewed. Generally speaking, the best prospects in, on the international free agent market either come from the Dominican Republic or they come from Venezuela. There are exceptions to that. Uh, Cuba is kind of a weird case because generally the players that come over that are highly touted are kind of like one-off type situations. And you know, depending on when they defect and how old they are, they kind of are subject to the different rules. Uh, and there are certainly good prospects that come out of a variety of different player places. But in terms of the international market, like you know. I don't think that they necessarily played in the deep end of the pool with pitching, and I don't think they need to. I think that they've done a really good job of get, of filling out their farm system top to bottom with arms. What they needed were position players, particularly at the lowest levels. If you watch the Augusta Green Jackets this year, it was really, really tough. There was a lot of guys that they were signing out of like Division two, two and junior college undrafted free agents that were like playing over a hundred games down there. So. This isn't that's not a place where they have a ton of depth of talent and where I think that they were wise to go to the international market and really kind of leverage what financial 
ability they had and it was substantial i mean they didn't have the most pool in the world and that's just based on like you know compensatory picks and all that stuff but like they didn't they were right in them they were in the big group in the middle where they had over a little over 500 million dollars and they they spread that money around and i think they did it well and that's what they should do right you know the chances are is that when you get the talents but you have the development system of the braves and you know unfortunately we saw the loss of dan meyer to become the pitching coach of the Pittsburgh Pirates AAA squad, but this brave system certainly has shown it can develop arms and not even those highly touted arms. It could, from start, you know, from when they come in to a minor league system, the Braves can find some hidden gems every now and then. And so you certainly hope that development track remains true. But let's shift our focus, Eric, from the international signing period up to obviously the talking chop top 30. Obviously, we just saw today the release of prospects 13 through 18, we're starting to get into some of the more exciting names. Now, obviously, I know that y'all are going to cover this much more in detail once the list is completely revealed over the next few days. But but a fun thing that I'll ask about this is of the prospects we know and where they are currently ranked, which prospect between 13 and 30, which prospect did you have the hardest time not ranking higher? Like, were you set on one prospect being much higher than the than the collective group was? Is there someone that you're really high on in that 13 through 30 list that you can think can make a big jump on the list this year? So this is a tough question to answer because, in, and largely because if we, especially if we're looking at the back half of the list in general, I think that there's a lot of variability in terms of what you can, what you can value. You can value upside, uh, you can value certainty of like a floor, but maybe not like a super exciting player. You can look at, you know, like, you know, how quickly they might move, age, things like that, right? And none of those things are particularly easy to predict, uh, both where we're going to place them and also how much they're going to matter. So I had a lot of trouble in general ranking players overall um, this particular go around because I feel pretty confident once I'm kind of in, the, in that top half, but once you get to the bottom half, I'm having to make a lot of guesses. It's like, for example, um, Spencer Schwellenbach is a guy who I think is an extremely talented player, extremely. And I think that the Braves are making a, for a college player, if, if you were just to look at like what demographic he represents out of a draft, and that is a second round arm at a college. Like that is generally an uninspiring, well, they just want an arm. They, they think they can move fast. There's nothing safe about the Spencer Schwellenbach pick though. He played mostly shortstop at, at Nebraska, only came out of the bullpen for Nebraska. And the Braves are going to try to convert him full-time into a starter. Now, this is a guy who can throw upper 90s with his fastball, sliders improving. The changeup seems like it's something that he's really kind of focused on him, uh, being dialed in. Now, the question here is that, he he was a known potential injury problem. He had had a like a not not Tommy John, but kind of one of the the procedures that you have before you have Tom, full on Tommy John that kind of reinforce the ligament. And you know he felt some soreness when he was in workouts after the draft. And the team's like, look, you know, like you don't, it's not a full tear right now, but it's going to come uh, based on what we're looking at. So we think it's probably a lot smarter idea for you to go ahead and have Tommy John surgery. He went ahead and did that. So how do you evaluate a player like that who? Is not going to is not going to pitch very much at all this year, and is just being converted to a starting pitcher. That's that that, that that's kind of explains why we have him ranked a little lower. And it's just that there's so much risk associated with him 
that we just don't really know what to make of him. Now, the, the upside here is that let's assume that like Tommy John rehab just doesn't go very well. He can still fall back and he'd be a perfectly reasonable bat, right? Like he, you would not be ha- unhappy to have him playing infield somewhere in your in your in your minor league farm system. You just wouldn't. He's he's he was a very good player uh, offensively as well. So we had uh, there was a lot of variance in where to put and where to put him. The Braves really like him. We've heard some really good things. Uh, there's even some like general anecdotal stuff that I heard that maybe he'll be back by summertime because of the type of repair he had, which seems ambitious to me, but at the same time kind of tells me both how optimistic they are about him and also how much they want him back on the field because they think he could be really special. So in terms of guys that like could be our weird placements and maybe could see a pretty significant jump in their stock based on once we have more information about them, it'd be Schwellenbach. The other name that kind of I circle as another guy that, again, I know that this is kind of like who was who I was higher on than others. I think that we were all generally in kind of the same general range on a lot of guys. But uh, another guy that I think we all had a lot of tough time ranking with any amount of com- confidence was Ambioris Tavares, the guy, the international signing that I mentioned. And that's because not only is he an international signing, so, you know, again, we're talking about a kid and we just don't really know what he's going to look like, but the Braves didn't field a Dominic, Dominican Summer League team this year. They just didn't even do it because they didn't have the international free agents to do it, which means we don't even know what he's been doing other than working out, you know, obviously in like, you know, team facilities and things like that. What does that mean for a young kid like that? Does that process help or hurt him? Where does the Braves start him? I imagine he'll start in rookie ball next year. And what does he look like there? These are, that's a guy whose stock can go way up or way down just based on information that we get going into the, you know, going through the 2022 minor league season. And I don't have great answers for folks as to kind of like, you know, what should we expect? You know, how quickly should he move? Those types of things. These are those are the type of players that I really circle. And I don't necessarily think I'm higher or lower on, but my certainty of where we end up placing him is certainly the worst because we just don't have a lot of great information on him. Love the insight. And, and that's the reason why these lists are so fun is, you know, just the, the thought thought process and things like that, that, that goes into them. The other question that I'll ask is this, is that, you know, in general, you look at that 13 through 18 list that was released today. And, you know, the Braves have drafted four major or four. They have had four draft picks in the first round over the past three drafts, because if you go back to the Carter Stewart, when they picked him eighth in the 18 draft, you know, they didn't wind up signing him. I believe I've got my numbers right. But Shay Lang Longaliers obviously is in the, you know, going to be higher up on the list. The thing that I will say, though, is, is that you've got Braden Shoemake, you've got Jared Schuster, you've got Ryan Cusick all in that middle tier. Was it surprising to you to see those picks not higher on the list? And I know that the Braves have, have kind of done the, the bargain hunting thing in the first round to have more money later on in drafts. But when y'all were making out this list, did it surprise you that some of those players were not higher up on the list, that those, all those first round picks were kind of in the middle of the top 30? So this is a, a tough question to parse for a number of reasons, because one, in some respects, no, because you're talking about you know, Shea Langlers was a top 10 pick, right? And obviously he's going to be higher up on our list. But all three of these players were picked around the same place in their respective first rounds. So in a sense, no, I'm not that surprised by it. Um, I We're talking about different traje- trajectories too with guys. In the case of Ryan Cusick, I would not be shocked at all if he ends up being a top 10 or higher prospect by midseason. It's just a question of, you know, going into the season, there's real reliever risk with him. You know, the guy throws 101, 102 miles an hour. We love that. But the command sometimes is lacking. And whenever he's been, you know, 
kind of going to those secondary pitches, uh, particularly he's, he's been, he spiked some down there in Augusta. And then once that was happening, he would just go back to his fastball. And I mean, low a was among like the worst baseball you at that level I've seen since I've been covering the minor leagues. It just, and that's not the Braves that's overall. So having a guy who's throwing 101 mile an hour fastball against those hitters, those guys never have a chance. Right. So I am at the same time, I am willing to, say this is a guy who has incredible ceiling to if he if he's comes into the 2022 season and he's spotting his slider and has like you know is is actually utilizing a changeup. i don't even necessarily need to see it as like a plus pitch if he's actually throwing it you know and can throw it for a strike i mean comparing that with 101 mile an hour fastball that's going to look like it's going 40 and that fastball is going to look like it's going 130 so that separation, I think, is going to do a lot of good things for him. And if he can do that as a starting pitching prospect, like that's a frontline guy. If he can, if he can start that going into the next year. At the same time, I could see it kind of going the other way, where it kind of turns more into maybe like a reliever profile, where maybe those secondaries don't really come along. In the case of the other two, um, Schuster's a guy that I'm probably a little lower on than I would say the national media consensus. And that's largely because we got reports that like when he was at the alternate side after the draft, he was recovering from an injury and that he was not particularly healthy coming into the season. And that fastball that the Braves were banking on being, you know, that, you know, when he was being at Wake Forest, he was, you know, throwing 94, 95, he was sitting more 90, 91 this year. And you combine that with just kind of a guy who's kind of going in the deeper counts and getting a lot of pitches fouled off. He got lit up a bit at Mississippi once he got promoted. And that's frankly a a promotion that I didn't think they needed to make. Uh, I understand that when you have a college arm, you want to accelerate him a little bit. Uh, The changeup is one of the best pitches in the system and there's no, that's not debatable, but you know, I do think that he needs a little bit more separation between his fastball and his changeup for him to find success consistently. Uh, The the strikeouts that he generally got were on the changeup because it's just that good, but I don't think that's something that he can pitch off of as his primary. I think he's going to have to have a little bit more fastball for him to be successful at the major league level, and he doesn't have that right now. In the case of Brayden Shoemaker, this is a weird case where the one thing that I thought he was going to do is hit. I wasn't sure he was a shortstop. I wasn't sure he was going to hit for power. And now I'm like pretty certain that he's a shortstop. He really moves well out there. I think he's really done a good job, you know, kind of, cementing himself as like he is a shortstop prospect he's a really good defender out there has a strong arm you know the the short arm throws that we saw during his pro debut and maybe a little bit when he was in college like that's not something i'm nearly as concerned about now but he did not hit this year he had like two stretches one where he was really good like two short stretches one where he was really good and one where he's pretty good the rest he was actively bad and i don't know what to make of that and that's tough because this is a guy who's a really skinny frame guy. He showed a bit of power this year, not a lot, but there was, you know, that, that we, we saw times where I'm like the balls that he did turn on. I'm like, okay, that's a, uh, that's a guy who at least has the ability to put the ball out of the ballpark. But I, I still wish he was a little bit stronger. And I still wish that he was just the, the year in general was bad. And I, it's hard for me to gauge as the, and with a lot of these prospects in general, kind of guys who were coming down, you know, had down years, the COVID layoff was real for a lot of these guys. And, you know, the alternate site is just not a replacement for playing a, a steady a steady slate of real games against op- opponents whose mission and whose careers are depending on trying to get you out uh, and you have to tr- or trying to get hits off of you. It's just different. It's not, you know, these the scrimmages that they're doing there at the alternate site are just not the same thing. And, you know, plus you have a lot of younger guys who are even not even at the alternate site that, you know, that they were just kind of on their own or having to do private workouts and things like that. And again, it's not, it's just not a replacement for that, that development. So to answer your general question is that, was I surprised? 
Probably not, just because again, those are guys guys who are all selected around the same point in time, and especially when you have that kind of that COVID layoff, that it's not surprising to me that some of these guys are going to be at the relatively the same ranking and relatively thought of relatively the same way because the Braves are kind of targeting that level of talent, I think. But how they got to those rankings is definitely a bit different, um, and I could see the, like them a lot more separation between the three once we kind of get into the midseason. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And this is a lot of fun, so make sure that if you've been reading along again the top 30 list, in my opinion, and I've read it for years even before I came on, you know, with Talking Chop from Eric's great work that he and him and his team have been doing for several years. Make sure to check out the latest every day this week when it comes to the Talking Chop Top 30. And then obviously we'll have the, the reaction on the Talking Chop Podcast Network and through other writings at talkingchop.com. And and staying on the prospects for a second. Um, Eric, we also started getting, you know, an idea of what the national media thinks, you know, well, national outlets, I guess you could say those that cover the entire majors of where they think Braves prospects currently are. And there was some pretty interesting movement from previous rankings, you know, even a year to two years ago, Baseball America came out earlier today and they released their top 100 list and it starts to get a bit eye opening. You see number 46, Michael Harris, number 54, Shay Langoliers, number 84, Christian Pache, and you don't see Drew Waters. So the question that I just want to get your general reaction, but the question that I have for you is this. We've seen Christian Pache as high as number 13 on some of these lists over the past two years. Is this prospect fatigue and that we've just known about him and Waters for a while? Or there is there any bit of concern that he, this bit of a fall off off, you know, from where he was just as little as 18 to 24 months ago when it comes to Pache and Waters versus Harris and Langoliers? Um, I, I think it's a bit of both. And in terms of Pache and Waters, they haven't done themselves any favors by not really being able to hit their way out of AAA consistently, right? Um, and Pache, this is a guy who's never posted an OPS in the minor leagues above 802, I believe. 
Uh, that's the highest, and that was a double A, which, again, in a place that doesn't necessarily lend itself to guys hitting an 800 OPS, so that, that's worth mentioning. Mississippi's particularly pitcher-friendly. But what you're banking on with Pache is kind of the physical raw tools that that guy has combined with all-world defense, and I truly mean that. I think that if he was if he started 130 games in the major leagues in center field, he'd win the gold club there. So if that, if you have that, what do you need from him to keep him in the major leagues as a regular player? And you probably need a league average bat, maybe a little bit better. And the problem is, is that what a lot of people saw was 67 or 60 or so at bats in the major leagues that were not good this year. They just weren't. And there's no, there's no denying that at all, but you know, it was a really small sample, and then he was hurt. Um, and then he went to Gwinnett, and particularly in the second half, he hit well. And this is a guy that has power. He has good speed underway. I think that the the notion that he's going to be a guy who, like, steals 30 bases a, a year is just not going to happen. It just takes him a little while to get going. Uh, he has a lot of long levers, so it's not a – I don't think he's that kind of that quick that quick twitch, you know, steals bases sort of guy. I think he's a guy that, like, just can really run, like, you know, take first to third – you know, second to home really easy, maybe first to home if you really need him to. Once he gets going, he's really fast. And you combine that with his with his defense, that's what you're kind of banking on. Combined with some, I think, you know, 15, 20 home run power. But we haven't seen him do that, and he hasn't had that season in the minor leagues where, like, wow, he's really figured things out with the bat. He's improved in certain areas at times. He's, you know, in the minor leagues at least, he was drawing more walks, and, you know, they, he's gotten better at that over time. He's hit for more power over time. But there haven't been big, big jumps. And what happens is that, you know, now he's 23 years old. You start wondering, you know, when is he going to figure it out? And combine that with more draft classes coming in. You have a lot. There's a, you know, since he's been, you know, signed by the Braves, there's been, you know, five or six first rounds of the draft that have been introduced to, to the top 100, right? And so if, like, you're talking about top 15 picks, even if you're only thinking that the top five guys end up being, or, like, five guys from each draft end up being top 100 prospects, it's still a lot of numbers a lot of names and you combine that with kind of some underwhelming numbers uh, or at least not the kind of jumps that you would need to justify and putting him high on the list. I'm not that surprised that we see him back up a bit. Now I still think that the ceiling on that guy, you know, especially from just a raw tools perspective is insane. I think the probability that he gets to that ceiling is much lower, but I think, I don't think he's a guy who's just never going to hit in the major leagues. I think he can be a light, a league average or better hitter. I think he can be a really valuable guy on the base paths and more importantly that defense is incredibly good so that's a really valuable player uh even if he's not a guy who hits like 280 290 with 25 or 30 home runs you don't need him to be Ronald Acuna Jr. you just need him to be able to be productive and I think he can be that uh in the case of Waters he's I mean he was already falling out of favor going into the season in terms of top 100 lists and didn't really do himself a lot of errors he had an injury at the beginning of the year never really looked right this this seemed like he like it's almost like he knew what pitch was coming, but he was making the incorrect decision as to what kind of pitches to turn on, and that resulted in a lot of like you know pulled ground hard hardly hit ground balls that didn't really do him much good, and you know it just seemed like he was kind of seemed a little bit lost as to kind of what his approach should be, and not necessarily at a loss for kind of like what was happening in at bats. So once that happens, you know then the strikeouts climb up, and you know, he starts looking, he starts having stretches where he just doesn't look very good at the plate. Other times, I mean, like 
the power numbers for him, I'm surprised, aren't better because he, when he gets a hold of them, he really gets a hold of them. So he has a lot of things to work on. So the short answer to your question is that is there some prospect fatigue? Sure, that happens with every guy. Just you know, a guy if a guy doesn't make the jump from Double A to the All Star game in the major league level, then guys wonder what's wrong with him. But at the same time, I think there's been a little bit of that, but there's also been on their end some guy, you know, just not getting the job done the way they need to. I mean, Christian Pache, it's not like the Braves didn't need an outfielder this year. You know what I mean? I mean, they were giving regular starts to Guillermo Redia, Abraham Almonte. Those were guys who were getting like seeing actual legitimate plate appearances at the major league level for a team to end up winning the World Series. I'm just going to find ways to say that in most conversations now. But this is a situation where like there was an opportunity for Pache and he couldn't take it. And that starts to make you wonder maybe if we need to back off our expectations for him a bit. Even if we still like him a lot, I'm like, it's not crazy to me to like put him like at the back end of a top 100 as opposed to a, like the top 25. I think that's great perspective. I think that makes a whole bunch of sense. You're right. There was plenty of opportunity for him to get featured, for him to make the most of the opportunity. It did work out. Yes. You certainly feel that Pache could certainly be a productive major leaguer, but it also is interesting that you're starting to put together, you know, you're starting to get a bigger track record together and the overall consistency, it may not be where some folks had hoped. So nothing just truly negative about Waters or Pache. You're just kind of get a better idea of what they're more likely to become. But of course, there is Michael Harris and Shea Longoliers, which is really exciting to see for the Braves. We're having another outfield prospect who's starting to be highly thought of. Obviously, one of the better catching prospects in the league. Just, you know, Eric, your thoughts on where they're placed on the list. And I'll also ask about the breakout player of the Braves minor league system last year, Spencer Strider. Do you feel that he possibly could start seeing himself in the back end of some of these top 100 lists, or does he need to have another build off in the first half of this season off of last season to maybe start hitting those top 100 lists toward the middle part of this year? I would not be shocked if he was in the conversations uh, to be the back end of top one, top 100 prospects list like right now. It's a weird situation with Strider because, like, none of us saw this coming. Uh, you know, we thought that he was going to be a, a really interesting reliever arm when he was picked in that draft. He was kind of one of those, like, eyebrow raisers, like, that's the guy. Uh, and it was intriguing in the sense that he was, you know, coming off an injury and didn't have that sort of track record of, like, he was, like, it's not like he was, in like, injured after he became a big draft prospect, right? He was already not like he was not like a guy that people were like targeting as like, you know, like a first or second round guy. Uh, and then when he got hurt and he had been hurt, didn't really throw much during the 2020 season, obviously because of COVID and the Braves pick him and you go, really, that's, that, that's an, that's a really interesting pick. And we kept our eye on him and it didn't take long to figure out why the Braves liked him because he was throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. Uh, those, again, those poor low way hitters. I didn't know what they, those guys didn't know what, what hit them. Uh, and makes his way all the way like from the year after he was drafted, he was pitching in the major leagues at the end of the season. So the question here is, you know, if he's a top 100 guy, he'll probably be a guy that has to be starting at triple a and performing. Well, I think he will. Uh, I think he'll be a top 100 guy by midseason. I think that's, what's going to happen. Um, I don't think that he's going to force his way onto the major league team. If for no other reason that like there's like other guys in the 40 man that I think they need to give some opportunities to uh, if they don't like sign a veteran guy. And even if they sign a veteran guy, there's other guys that maybe need that. Like, n- like they need to be eliminated first, unless he's just absolutely like, if he has like a one point something ERA through like eight games and, you know, is striking out 14 batters in an inning. I mean, you have to have a different conversation, but I think he can be really, really good. And I think he has that kind of ceiling to him, 
But if he's a guy that is, you know, you know, turning into more of a bullpen prospect, then that probably doesn't happen. Now, in the case of the other two names that you mentioned, uh, I I think that the Baseball America, like they are very deservedly being placed where they are. Um, Michael Harris is a really interesting prospect that we've been high on since before this season. And people kind of thought we were crazy, you know, like, well, he didn't really hit that much in Rome, but keep in mind that when he played in Rome after, during his draft year, he had been a two-way player in high school, pitching and hitting. This is his first, that was his first time focusing on hitting that the Braves thought highly enough of him of a prep player, a high school player to put him in full season ball straight away. Told me kind of what I needed to know and talked to a lot of people about him. Uh, especially with work at the alternate site. He was one of the better hitters at the alternate site, period. And once you kind of get that information, we put him, we were pretty high on him to start. And as it turns out, we feel pretty vindicated about that. The guy can really hit. I think that we haven't seen anywhere close to the ceiling of his his raw power. His, his raw power is very good. I think that his game power, we haven't seen close to what that could be. Um, he weirdly, unless that changed towards the end of the season, I don't think he hit a home run at home. Um, so he's a guy and at batting practice, he puts on a show, he puts balls in the upper deck. He like, he can really hit and he's not reached his physical peak yet. So he's really a kind of an exciting guy. I think he could also stick in center field. I think he might fit better in right, but he's a guy that I think could play all three outfield positions. Uh, and in Shea Langler's case, I think that there's reason to be a little bit skeptical of his hit tool, which is why I'd be maybe, I might be switching the order a little bit on some, uh, in terms of like where to place him, but the power's real. Um, I don't think he's going to be like hitting 40 home runs at the major league level or anything like that, but I think that that's where he's going to drive a lot of his offensive value and the defense defense is real. He, he gets the balls quickly. He has a cannon for an arm and he's constantly hunting for outs. And that's what I want from my catchers. In addition to calling good games, which I think that that requires reps. So I don't necessarily, I'm not like pushing for him to like, you know, start the year in the major leagues or anything like that. I think you need those kind of game experiences to look like, just get more and more experience calling games to get good at it. But in terms of like what you want from like controlling a running game and being kind of an X factor behind the plate, that's what Langleyers have. He was picking off guys at first. I saw him a, like a spite a slider got spiked in the dirt in front of him. He like blocks it with his chest plate. The guy was off to second as soon as that ball hit the dirt, and he threw that runner out by like three steps. Like the guy didn't even bother to slide. You don't see that. You just don't see that from catchers very often. And so when you have that kind of defensive acumen as well, like that really helps a whole lot. Uh, again, I think that more 2023 is the best expectation as to when we could see him in the major leagues. But I, it's not confusing as to why people like him a lot. When you have a, 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 hit, a catcher that has real power, uh, an okay hit tool, uh, I think it could be a little bit better. But combine that with his def- defensive acumen, um, you know, c- color me interested, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I will say I, I've every now and then I've been able to go on YouTube and when I'm going through these rabbit holes of looking at the Braves prospects, one of the more exciting things I like to see is his defensive highlights. It's a lot of fun to see his pop time, just how in command he is back there. It, it's a lot of fun to see even stuff that you may not necessarily, we can measure everything in baseball nowadays, but the confidence that the Braves starters in the future are going to have when he's behind the plate, I'm sure is certainly going to be something to watch for. And, and that's the other thing that we'll kind of wrap up with here, Eric, 
Eric, is that, you know, today, one of the more anticipated uh, series of the offseason, Dan Zimborski's um, series, the Zips Projection Series from Fangrass. If I got his last name wrong, I'm horrible with names, so forgive me. But he released the Braves' Zips Projections, and the first thing he says is that, can the Braves win the World Series again? Absolutely. They got to get Freddie Freeman. We all know that. But the thing that pops out to me, Eric, is the overall valuation of the Braves pitching. They're starting, they're, they're projected starting pitching F4 as a collective group is 16.3 F4. That would have ranked sixth in the majors last year. Their bullpen is a collective 4.8 F4. That would war that would have been eighth in the majors last year. Last year, the Braves finished 12th and 12th in terms of starters war and bullpen war. So it looks like there's going to be some natural progression and maturation of this pitching staff. We know what to expect from the offense, but if you got to got to get a good look at those Zips projections, did the pitching pop out to you as much as it's valued and even Mike Soroka at 1.6 F4. That has to be exciting as well. Well, I mean, the idea that Soroka would be back and producing at that level is exciting to me on a number of levels, mostly because I'm a shameless Mike Soroka homer and I will not deviate from that whatsoever. Um, it was a little bit it was a little bit surprising that they had the pitchers that high. I mean, when you have Charlie Morton, I mean he's a guy who broke his leg and is kind of reaching towards the end of his career, you know, counting on him to put up a four war season as a pitcher as a starter is is a is a big ask of any guy. But, you know, especially, you know, it was a long season last year. He put up a lot of innings. Uh, Max Freed getting some love isn't that surprising because, you know, he has kind of a lot of those, some of those, I say a lot of, some of those peripherals that kind of project well over the course of a long season in terms of overall war production. You know, and Ian Anderson, I think, has kind of been proverbially underrated. He'll have a bad start here and there. But generally speaking, all that guy does is pitch. So I think that we'll see the composition of these the, the starters and the relievers overall being a little bit different than maybe what Zips and, and Zim has projected here. Uh, just, again, like, do, do we really know that Waskari Noah is going to be throwing enough to get to war? Uh, is he going to be a guy that can replicate his success from the first half of the season? You know, do are they going to go to guys like Kyle Muller, Tucker Davidson, Kyle Wright? Are those guys going to be in the mix? Does Mike Soroka, you know, when does he come back? And if so, what does he look like? Those are all real questions that have to be answered. And in terms of relievers, I mean, look, the, the night shift, color me a believer. I'm not necessarily the guy who's like super excited to have Will Smith coming out there in the ninth because I think he can be a bit more of an adventure than I would prefer. But I could also see, you know, like a lot of these relievers like Webb, Jackson, you know, Lee and Newcomb. I don't think that necessarily those are going to be the other guys that are going to be composing the rest of the relief core. I think there might actually be a little bit more upside to that group in terms of what could end up happening. You know, so the short answer to your question is, was I a little bit surprised? A little bit, but at the same time, like the Braves built their rebuild on pitching. Uh, And if they didn't have guys that were useful as starters, then that would be a problem. And what has happened is that they've gotten some guys, both guys they've developed as well as guys that they have brought in that have really been able to produce. And they seem to have a good handle on what that should look like. You know, it's going to be a little bit different than last year, where we just had had so many guys hurt. Uh, in the case of Drew Smiley, just not being good anymore. That you know, they had to kind of rotate some guys in and out until kind of, they kind of figure out the composition that they wanted. So again, like I'm, you have to be happy with the the pitching side of things. There's a lot of questions with the offensive side of the ball uh, that we just don't have great answers to. I mean, Freddie Freeman's obviously the elephant in the room here, but also just kind of the composition of the outfield and what that's going to look like. 
we just don't have answers to those questions yet. And that will, those questions won't be answered until the CBA is negotiated because I think there's zero chance that like left field is going to be like Ozuna and, and or waters next year. I just think there's no chance of that happening. So if that's the case then you know, who is there and how do they produce? Is that a Jorge Soler out there is, you know, and is Ozuna getting most of the DH at bats is Ozuna going to be a guy that maybe the Braves target for moving uh, in the wake of kind of the, the domestic violence accusations against him and the investigation that you know, led to him just not being retroactively suspended for 20 games or whatever it was. Um, those were, those are kind of questions that we just don't have great answers to. And I know that Zimborski, you know, and I, I know Dan and I've talked to him a decent bit and, you know, he'll be the first to say like, you know, this, the, this is based on the only the information that we have. This isn't like an opinion piece. This is just what the numbers tell us that is can't that can be generally true. It's not projecting that the Braves are going to be playing, you know, some random schmo at first base. They're not it's not projecting necessarily that this is what is going to happen. It's just based on the information and what the roster looks like right now, that this is kind of the best look at it right now. And if considering the fact that they have this many unanswered questions and they're still projected this highly, bodes pretty well for 2022. And then Eric, the last thing that I'll ask you, because this is just what's so exciting. And I know that y'all talked about it at length, but you know, just coming up on this season, when you look around major league baseball and the, and the, and the question is posed to you, what teams are best suited to truly be, you can say right now, you can see them being a contender for each of the next five years. I think the Braves have to be one of the most confident top five teams that anybody would answer. I think you could put the Braves up there, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, you know, Padres potentially, you know, Dodgers obviously, but you know, who, whoever you have in that list. But I would say there are very few teams, if any, that are better positioned than the Braves to truly be a contender each of the next five years. And that's why it's so exciting that we got this World Series this early in the process, because there's a very good chance we could have one or two more at least to discuss in time. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the the fan base I think is going to get a little bit spoiled because they went from 2018, you know, finally win the division title uh, of series against the Cardinals that we're just not going to talk about. Then two years later, they they get the playoff, you know, they get the playoff curse off their backs uh, after winning the division title after division title after division title. They finally win a couple World uh, Playoff Series, and I, I am of the opinion. And I will die on this hill that if the the rules about like days off during the National League Championship Series against the it, it, against the Dodgers in 2020 that the Braves would have played in the World Series last year, not to, not this past year, the year before, because I think that the one thing that got the Braves is that they had that lead on them, and then they were just gassed and they were just tired and they just didn't have they couldn't finish them off. Uh, just the guys at the plate just looked worn out. And they had relievers that were worn out too. They had, they had to kind of go to like you know AJ Mentor picked had a three inning appearance to start a game in that series, for example. And you know if, I think that they had had some rest, they would have been able to finish off the Dodgers last year. And then they obviously win the World Series title this year. So you know I think they could get a little bit spoiled. I think that expecting a World Series title or a World Series appearance when you have a, a league that includes the Dodgers uh, as well as you know teams that like to spend a lot of money like the Phillies and you know the Mets are obviously making their moves. You know, the division itself could be a dogfight this year, let alone, you know, getting uh, making a run through the playoffs. So I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess is the best way I put it. And they've certainly positioned themselves well with the contracts that they've signed, like Acuna and Albies being on really team-friendly deals. You know, the big question here is, you know, there's going to be a pretty big hole at the number three spot in their order with Freddie, if Freddie Freeman leaves. And if that's the case, how do they fill it? What does that look like? So 
I think that they're in a really good spot, but a player of a hitter of Freddie's caliber probably needs to be on this roster. Uh, and it, I think it should just be Freddie, but at the same time, that question needs to be answered. Otherwise they could be, it could be a little bit tougher than people were expecting. Agree completely. And I was asking that question, assuming that we'd sign Freddie Freeman. Obviously, we'll wait to uh, to see how that comes once once the MLB lockout is done. But but Eric, how much fun is it to be able to sit here and talk for thirty or so minutes? We didn't even mention the MLB lockout. It's nice to have baseball news back a bit with all this news now out there and going on. What can people expect from you? Always glad to see the few times each week you're kind enough to do a Q&A on Twitter. It's always fun to get your perspectives on that. But also just what do you have coming up? Because I know obviously with a lot of this prospect news out there, you and the, and the, the guys who cover the minor leagues are going to be busy over at Talking Chop. Well, the, the list rolling out uh, over the next couple of days, the last two installments are on Thursday or Friday this week are kind of the, the big mission right now. We've got those submitted and, you know, you know, in the hands of the powers that be for, you know, editing and formatting and all that stuff. So once that rolls out, uh, we have a few, we have a couple other series going around talking chop that I'm helping out with. I helped out on the hall of fame, the guys who played for the Braves that are on the hall of fame ballot and uh, talking about them. I wrote about Bill Wag- Billy Wagner there. Uh, and then the, the guys who they could be targeting in free agency is the big series that we're also kind of using to kind of fill the void while we're waiting for actual baseball things to happen. Uh, and I've pitched in on that. I'm going to continue to pitch in on that as that continues to roll out. You know, I'm going to keep doing Q&As on Twitter. We're going to be doing the the podcast over at the Road to Atlanta to kind of run down our thoughts on the top 30 list once it's all rolled out on Monday. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this very podcast. Not only you get to the kind words of Sean here, but you also get the great Brad Roland hosting the, the flagship show. I help on that show as well, as well as the Road to Atlanta podcast. You'll, that way, if you are subscribed to this feed, you won't miss any of us. Uh, we're, we're constantly putting content on this feed in one form or the other or the other. So that's kind of what I'm focused on now. Once we kind of get past, once we get kind of this blast of content of the kind of the free agency stuff and we, I can have some time on uh, the, the preparation for the minor league season is generally where my, once we kind of get into late winter, early spring is where I start going. And, you know, a little bit of preview content once we start getting rosters and all that stuff. But, you know, first and foremost, we got to actually be able to play baseball again. And, you know, hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Agreed completely. His name is Eric Cole. Eric, thank you so much as always. It's a pleasure anytime that we get to cross paths. And if you'll stick with me for just a moment after we're done, but thank you for taking the time tonight. It was great to hear your perspective again about things, actually talking about the present and future when it comes to the Braves and baseball. Nice to be able to have these conversations again. Absolutely, Sean. Thanks for having me. You're doing a great job on the podcast, man. Keep it up. Thank you very much. His name is Eric Cole. Again, you can find him at Leprechaun, at L-E-P-R-E-K-H-A-N, myself at Stats SEC. All of Eric's great work and the rest of the Talking Chop podcast, or the rest of the Talking Chop.com staff's great work at TalkingChop.com. As Eric mentioned, the Talking Chop Podcast Network, obviously the Road to Atlanta podcast as well. Stick around for all the great content and the reaction to it when it comes to the Talking Chop Top 30 top thirty podcasts as well as Hall of Fame reactions and things like that in the near future. For Eric Cole, my name's Sean Coleman. We'll talk to you again soon here on The Daily Hamper.